Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Today we're going to have a general look at how ACT might approach any chronic illness that we might think of as typically or strictly physical. Things like skin diseases or MS, HIV or stomach disorder. Most of us were brought up to believe that there were things were either physical or psychological. We hope in this program to bridge uh, that, that discrepancy. Remember that acceptance and commitment therapy is about accepting what we cannot change and choosing actions that are helpful to us. Our guest today is Dr. David Gillanders. David is the academic director at the Department of Clinical Psychology at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. You can read more about David from his website and you can find that by clicking on his name on this week's program, Act Taking Hurt to Hope, on webtalkradio.net. Welcome, David. Hi, Joanne. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. It, I'm, it's a real pleasure to be here. David, tell me, what, what, yeah, I know that you're a psychologist and um, at that you work with uh, people with different, uh, we could call physical, physical disorders. And how did, what got you interested in looking at, say, disease from a psychological perspective? I think that when I when I first graduated, I went to work in a chronic pain management program, and at that point, I had no idea that 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 chronic pain existed even, let alone that there was uh, psychological approaches to chronic pain. And I saw in the program people come in with um, limitations, disability, painful conditions, and gradually over the course of uh, eight or nine weeks, they would, they would begin to turn their lives around and, and, and make changes um, and start to to do things and challenge themselves in ways that they hadn't done before. And I was I was pretty amazed by that. And one of the things that, that I often saw there was this uh, people wrestling with this notion of, you know, is pain all in my head? You know, mm. is, is is this a psychological thing or a physical thing? And I and I came to to really sort of appreciate that this was the the question that was burning for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But in fact it was a question that was leading people down paths that that really weren't very useful for them. So, if if you mean if people were um, thinking that it was psychological, that it that it was that then it was not real, and 
Absolutely. And, and that, that some of the times that their uh, experiences of trying to secure uh, diagnoses or um, uh, you know, finding out what was wrong with them had led them into this way of thinking that was um, slightly black and white, you know, mm -hmm. kind of, is this physical? Is it psychological? Do, do the doctors believe me? These, mm -hmm. the, 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 this was the kind of flavor of the whole um, uh, consultation journey that you see, um, you know, a lot of patients on. Yeah. And I and I found myself just kind of thinking, or gradually coming to the appreciation that that, that some of these questions were leading people down paths where where, uh, where there wasn't really a, a clear answer. So so either that it was, um, you know, if if they took the view that that people think this is psychological, it's all in my head, then they'd feel very disbelieved. Uh, and if they took a, a, the more kind of physical view, then they'd say, well, why, why aren't I getting better than in that case? Um, and, and so the, the, the nature of having these kinds of questions would lead people to be just very stuck. Yeah. You know, David, I have an example from that uh, of working with epilepsy. Uh, when, you know, with, with uh, epilepsy is also seen as in, in the traditional meaning to be very physical. And uh, I've been working with it from since uh, the 70s of teaching, you know, children how to, to stop their seizures. And, and many parents had that. I could see that actually that they could influence the seizures in different ways. They could predict them and they could maybe interrupt them, but they were afraid to tell the physicians that because they felt if the physicians thought it was in some way psychological, they would see it as a, maybe a pseudo seizure and they wouldn't get help. Yeah. Right. And that, that, that's, you know, that, that's exactly what I mean by having this mindset in which things are either physical or that they're psychological can just lead us down paths where we do things that really aren't aren't particularly useful for us in terms of living with uh, a chronic condition. And, you know, I think you see that in the ways that you've just described there, but also uh, you see it sometimes where people uh, present themselves to to more and more uh, elaborate testing or diagnoses, or you know, uh, present themselves with more and more desperate, uh, you know, desperation to their physicians uh, to try and get this diagnosis because they just really don't feel that they're being believed. And I think that's part and parcel of this kind of uh, wrestling with the the idea that is this psychological, is it physical? Yeah. So, so David, tell me, um, what what type of uh, clients or patients um, come to you at your service. So, what, what, who do you serve? Well, the the work that I've been doing more recently was through a chronic pain clinic, but but pain is really the only the thing that gets people in the door. Uh, you know, the kinds of conditions that we would see would be um, uh, stomach pains and kind of gastrointestinal type of pains. So things like, uh, well, from irritable bowel syndrome to um, uh, Crohn's disease, uh, those kinds of things. But in addition, you know, people don't just come with chronic pain. They also have other kinds of conditions too. So, so often we'd see people that had diabetes or we'd see people that had a chronic fatigue syndrome. And prior to working in this service that I have been working in until recently, I was working in a, in a district general hospital where we saw referrals from, uh, for example, um, uh, uh, infectious disease. So I'd see people who were HIV positive. Uh, we would also see people who had had heart attacks and we'd see, I didn't personally see them because we had a specialist service, but we'd see people with cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd see people who were from dermatology with skin conditions. 
Uh, I'd see people from the maxillofacial surgeons who had, for example, had a, a road traffic accident or an assault and, and had, it had changed their facial appearance in some way. Um, so so a, real, a real wide range of different kinds of conditions um, that we would see. Yeah. Yeah, and and I know that uh, you are an act therapist, and um, I wonder. So, uh, so how would an act therapist approach in in general uh, anyone with a chronic uh, problem? Yeah, well, well, first of all, <clears throat> I think there's a kind of basic piece here. Even before we get into uh, what an act therapist would do, it's kind of more kind of a psychological perspective, mm-hmm. which 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 is kind of that um, we generally don't nowadays look to psychological reasons as the explanation of why someone has the condition that they have. You know, I just, in all of my different types of experience, have never found uh, psychology a good place to begin as the explanation for someone's problem. I, I found it much more useful as a place that helps us to um throw some light upon the person's response to having a difficulty. So so I use my psychological expertise to kind of say, okay, you, you have this problem in your life. You you didn't plan for this, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and and quite often, you know, I'll have this conversation with patients and say, look, you know, there isn't a lesson in school where they take you to one side and they say to you at some point in your life in the future, you might develop a chronic illness and here's how you deal with it. Right, right. I think that's an important point that you take up, David, um, that as uh, there are different schools in psychology and you and I are both in the behavioral uh, realm, but uh, something that's called more psychosomatic uh, Mm. is from a, a psychodynamic tradition where they actually are looking at psychological problems that, that that might be the cause of an illness whereas you and I um, are, are working it that there's 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 no one cause but rather um, different factors that influence and correlate and that become complications of way of relating to and that's like you said a general psychological yeah. approach mm-hmm. absolutely and, and actually even that kind of gets us into the more acceptance and commitment part because i think we can always put it like this if we if we put psychology as as being searching for the reason why someone has these kind of problems then i just think that that has um a relatively low level of what we call workability you know we're just we're just going to find ourselves kind of probably more and more caught up in the search for meaning and the search for answers and it's and it's and it's going to make us probably less likely to do what really needs to be done in life you know mm-hmm. uh, so so i tend to kind of say well the the act work really kind of enhances this stance because it helps us to focus on well you know maybe we're never going to really find an answer that, about why you have this situation that you have what well, let's instead our efforts into okay I have this in my life I didn't plan it I don't like it I don't have to approve of it and yet what's my next step you know what am I going to do with this that that's kind of you know the 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 basic stance that I want to try and take with somebody and it's a it's a very act consistent kind of stance yeah I would let me just uh uh, validate what you said about the, the cause because I, uh, I think sometimes we have this idea that uh, we will find causes and many patients are, uh, are always looking for the cause, and and I I think this you know with also with epilepsy, uh, I don't know if you 
know this, but about 75% of uh, children with epilepsy, we ne never find the cause. You right. know, in the way, and I think maybe that is in most cases that uh, to single out a very little, you know, virus or that this is the cause, there are probably very few conditions that you could actually find the cause. Sure, sure. And, and, and it's just typical, I think, of the human mind to want one thing. You know, even even for example, you know, you probably know this the kind of classic example of if we think about well, what what was it that caused this fire or this explosion to happen, and we say, well, it was the spark. Okay, well, but the spark needed to have the fuel and the oxygen there too. So, you know, which one was the ultimate cause? You know, yes. uh, it's just like us as human beings to want to pin things down to one thing. And the world is just more complex than that. Really, there's multiple reasons why things happen. And one thing I want to kind of get across is I'm not suggesting that the, the psychologists and, and other kind of professionals who, who take a more, um, you know, a causal based approach who are searching for that. I'm not saying that's not valuable. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that will come good at some point. But for me, it, it's just not a place where I found clinically that there's a lot of uh, use in working at that level. Okay. So let's get into ACT, David. Tell me how, how, how would... Um... What would be an act to approach generally to? Well, I think what we would, we would want to do is we I'd start with kind of creating a very safe space for the person and giving someone time, first of all. One of the things that people often uh, say after they've had an assessment with a psychologist in a chronic medical setting is how much time they had. You know, they had maybe 50 minutes, maybe an hour, and maybe had that assessment spread over a couple of sessions sometimes. Uh, and that's very rare in uh, in you know kind of medical settings where the the focus is much much briefer, uh, quicker, high volume uh, uh, consultations. So first of all, we give them time and space, and we create a, uh, an atmosphere where it's okay to talk about you know, what's going on in your life. And we'd want to get everything on the table, not just the symptoms and what we call the symptoms, but also what are the problems that come with the symptoms. Um, you know, what does it make it hard to do? How has your life been affected by this financially, uh, emotionally, relationship-wise, socially? Who do you not see now that you used to see? Um, uh, how, how has this problem affected um, your your view of yourself, your relationship with family, with children, with friends? Um, and so we'd want to get all of that stuff out there on the table and look at what the person, you know, really get a good sense of not just the symptoms, not just the, the signs, but also what, what are the problems the person's struggling with. And then I'd, I'd really kind of want to get into, so let's, let's look at what are the things that you've done to try and deal mm. with these symptoms. Mm. And, and we'd get a long, long list of all the things the person has either done in the past or is doing now to try and deal with all these problems. Mm. So typical examples might be, you know, well, I've been to see lots of different doctors or I've been to see other health professionals, too. or I've been to have lots of different types of tests or diagnoses or scans, etc. Mm. Um, I you know, think like I've tried to figure it out. Uh, I've tried to kind of you know, go on the Internet and find out all about it. Mm. I've I've, uh, uh, you know, um, stopped doing certain things, you know, in order to kind of try and control the symptoms. I've stopped mm. going certain places, you know, that mm. kind of thing. And and the whole purpose of that piece is really trying to kind of create enough uh, safe space to have this conversation that is about, well, let's together, just between you and me, examine for each of these things that you've been trying, how well has it worked? Mm. How, well, how well has it worked in leading your life to be the kind of life that you would really want it to be. 
Okay, so looking at your experience of, of workability. So David, could you could we do a role play um, of how you actually would work so we could so the listeners could see how you work? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, for example, could I have chronic fatigue syndrome? Yeah, that would work well. Um, so we could imagine that you're uh, a person struggling with feelings of fatigue. Uh, you find it very hard to um, you know, to have any energy and to get things done, and you rest a lot of the time, you know. And uh, so, you know, we could imagine that we're kind of in the middle of that conversation about you've been trying. Okay. Uh, would that be okay? Yes. Okay. So, Joanne, in in this conversation that we've been having, I've you know I've really been hearing that uh, this is not just a problem about tiredness. But also the things you've been telling me about uh, what comes with that tiredness in terms of the impact that it has upon your life, the things that it's stopped you from doing. Yeah. You know, I, I have to listen to my body because I, I am so tired and I, and I have to listen. If I'm tired, that means I need to rest and uh, uh, I, I have to be, I have to start taking care of myself. I haven't done that before, so I really need to listen and, and my body's telling me to to rest and sleep that so sure sure and and there's there's something in there even that i can hear there's something novel about what you say there about i need to kind of start listening to my body yeah like that, that when you said that it felt like it was kind of new well, yes, that... yes, because I, I i've ignored my body i've worked so hard i've stressed so much I, I have uh, been really, uh, you know, on a high stress level. So now I now I really have to start taking care of myself. Okay. So so one of the things I want us to notice here, Joanne, is how uh, let's look and it's, would it be okay if we examine these experiences just a little bit? That you said to me there that, that in the past you have tended to, uh, you know, have a kind of fairly high activity rate, kind of fairly kind of driven, would you say? Would that be right to say? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, approach to this kind of thing, try, trying to kind of, you know, almost kind of, I'll, I'll beat this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let, let me ask you, in, in your experience, when you really get engaged with, um, I'm going to really beat this this time, mm -hmm. like, like, what's the effect of that? Like, what are the consequences of that? Well, I tire myself out. I get exhausted. Yeah. You feel something more exhausted, more tired. So, so would it be fair to say that when you get involved in, in kind of really, I'm going to beat this, that that, that has kind of you know, low workability or high workability? What do you think? I, th I think that the problem is that sometimes it really works well. Okay. Tell me about those times. Well, uh, I've always been a high achiever. Uh -huh. And... Uh, um, I know that if I, I can really, I can really whip myself, I can, you know, yeah. uh, sleep less and I can really get myself going and uh, I can drink a lot of coffee and, and so I can, I can really have a high, uh, get okay. yeah, more, more done than every, everybody else. And people admire okay. me and say, cool. yeah. Cause, cause that's important. We, we want that kind of stuff in our life. And let me ask you this, like you've been doing that for some time. Yeah. Yeah, long term, do you think how well is that working? Well, that doesn't work because I I don't take care of my relationships. I haven't taken care of my health. I, um... Okay, so let, I want to just I even just kind of noticed it there in the way that you said that. Just a little sense of that there's something in here where, uh, you know, this is 
the short term mm. it, it's like a kind of a, it's kind of a boost yeah but it but but did you kind of touch this place just there that was like long term this is not really working for me no 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 I see it afterwards I can see that you can see that afterwards okay so so let's just kind of notice that that the the first of all your your kind of your mind sort of promises that this kind of uh, this time I'm going to beat this if I'm just really you know beast myself with it and kind of you know push myself this time this time it'll work yeah but your experience says you know actually long term life is not getting easier no you with me with this yeah yeah no that's right that's right Okay, so so one of the things that I want to do with this joint is, is it can be helpful in our work if we have sort of an organizing metaphor uh, to try and kind of uh, look a little bit at these things that we're kind of working on about the things that, that really, in your experience, you know, your mind says that they should work, mm. you know, but in your experience, you're saying that it doesn't really work. So so it would be like this. It would be almost imagine as if um, as if life was like sailing a small boat, okay? And you, uh, in the kind of early part of your life, you know, you're learning how to sail your boat and, and the folks who are teaching you how to sail, they give you this tool and they say to you, if you get waves in this boat, if waves come over the front of this boat and you get water in the boat, use this baler. This thing is a baler. Use this to get rid of the water before you carry on. So you go, okay, great, that's fine. And you stick the baler in the cupboard. You're not needing it right away. And off you go in your boat. And at some point on life's journey, you've had these waves come over the front of your boat and there's now water in the boat. So some of the things in that would be, you know, feelings of fatigue, tiredness, um, being hard on yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, emotions like you know, self-criticism. These are, this is some of the water, yeah. And so you, from time to time, you kind of like reach for that bailer. Let's get rid of these feelings. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's really kind of go at bailing these things, you know. Yeah. And, and sometimes it almost feels like it would work but just just notice when you've been really involved in kind of trying to get rid of the water trying to bail this water out yeah how, how well have you been actually sailing the boat in the direction that you would really want it to go yeah yeah not very good <laughs> not very good yeah you with me with that yeah so so, so here's what, I mean, our work, you know, your, your mind tells you that the logical thing is let's get rid of this water first and then I'll get on with sailing the boat. Yeah. And, and what if our work could really be about looking at this tool, this baler that you're using and really examining, you know, mm. is it working? Now, what if, what if we were to do that? What if we were to look at it, you know, and, and, and actually it turns out that it was something like a sieve? Yeah. Oh, what would be the what would be the if if it really was like that? What would be the first thing that you'd have to do? Um, I don't know. Um, stop, want, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You want to do some more bailing with the sieve? <laughs> no, no. So, so why don't we make our work be about let's let's try and let go of what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it may be that along the journey that we have together, we do find some other things that work a little better. But the main part of our journey will be like letting go of what doesn't work. Yeah. In, not what I'm saying doesn't work, but what your experience tells you doesn't work. Yeah. And then we'll make our work be about getting a hand onto the tiller of the boat, mm. getting another hand onto the sails of the boat and beginning to bring them in. And importantly, crucially, 
beginning to look up from the water and looking at the direction in the front of the boat of where am I taking this boat? Where did I really want to go? Mm. Mm. Maybe that we go really, really slowly at first. It may be that the very beginning of our journey is just a tiny, tiny course change and yeah. just starting to move the boat really slowly in a direction that you would choose, but that that would be what our work would be about. Yeah. How does that land for you? Yeah, I like that thought. I like the thought of, of uh, stopping doing these exhausting things and maybe getting a little taller and looking out and seeing what well, what is this all about why am i working so hard yeah cuz cuz you know the other thing about this piece of work that you and i are going to do there's going to be times when it might be tough and challenging it might be also quite ridiculous at times a little bit goofy and mm -hmm. if we're going to do a ton of things that are kind of odd and difficult and challenging we want to be doing it for you know reasons that matter to you so yeah. To me, the things that matter to you are, where are you taking this boat? Where do you really want it to go? I appreciate those questions, David. David, thank you for that role play. Um, I like that. If we, if we, we need to move uh, along a little, could you tell us if we, we, this woman had chronic fatigue syndrome, which is quite common. Do you have any examples of chronic fatigue that where you actually did this and what happened? Well, absolutely, because I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that chronic fatigue, we use very similar basic behavioral strategies that we would use with other conditions like chronic pain. So, for example, things like uh, pacing and goal setting. But sometimes pacing can get uh, hijacked into uh, the service of being a thing that people do to try and reduce their symptoms. You know, mm -hmm. if I Mm -hmm. I pace things, I won't feel as much pain, or if I pace things, I won't feel so tired. We we try and spot that if that's the kind of the way that someone's using it. And we say, no, no, the way that we use pacing is to try and uh, plan uh, what your activity level is so that we can kind of then sort of have a baseline of, of what's, a, sort of what's a kind of stable level of activity and then gradually increase from there. Yeah. So we, we use pacing as a way of gradually building up someone's tolerance. Mm -hmm. uh, someone's capacity to do different things. Um, and and one of the things that uh, you'll notice in the role play that you did, you kind of said the early flavor of our conversation, it, you said something like, you know, I, I just really have to look after myself now and I have to rest. Mm -hmm. you know, th this this kind of thing would be fairly typical of people I've seen with chronic fatigue, that they have learned, you know, in inverted commas, um, ways of dealing with their problem that, that are kind of in some ways almost like rules about how their problem works. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and so, sometimes those rules themselves can be kind of rigid. Mm -hmm. and, and that one of the things that I want to do is to try to help them to become more flexible about, you know, really examining those rules mm -hmm. uh, and examining whether, you know, does that rule serve me well? Yeah. Or does it not, not is it truthful, not is it accurate, but does it serve me well? What happens when I give my life over to that rule? Yeah, yeah, right. So in that case, it would be the more you sleep, the more tired you get. Maybe so. And, mm -hmm. and, and to, to a degree, I mean, I, I mean it when I say, you know, I want your experience to be the guide, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like for some people, they have found that if they, if they sleep for, you know, a, a little while a day, you know, let's, let's say, you know, kind of they give themselves half hour rest, that does help them to then do things later on in the day or, or you mm -hmm. know, after something. Yeah. But it, 
So when they're kind of taking these like four or five hour sleeps in order to go and do a kind of one hour activity, yeah. it just seems like the balance in their life is really, you know, not. Yeah. Do, do you have, how, how did it go for that patient that you had with the chronic fatigue syndrome? Really well, actually. She um, she was a, she was a young woman. Um, she was uh, about twenty one, and she had um, uh, really kind of spending a lot of time resting in order to then go and do things like classes. You know, kind of. Uh, she would she had a range of creative pursuits that she enjoyed, but she would kind of rest for five six hours to go and do an hour's class, that kind of thing. Uh, and we were able to gradually cut that down. First of all, get her doing more things in and around her house, her home, um, setting small goals, building up her energy, her tolerance of activity in that kind of way, um, and then kind of doing things more and more sort of outside of the home as well. Um, so, so I mean, they seem quite simple sort of things, but the trouble can be getting people to really kind of stick with them uh, mm -hmm. and dedicated to them. And often the thing that, that, that kind of makes it difficult for someone to stick to something is that there, our minds get in the way, you know, our minds kind of, and our emotions get in the way. Um, so, so some of the act work about helping to be more flexible about uh, you know, thoughts, feelings, rules, uh, then really kind of allowed her to be more able to stick to this kind of very simple behavioral goal setting strategy. Uh, and, and she was able to use that well to build up her activity to the point when, you know, she, she was a person who we don't we don't always work with someone right to the kind of very end of, you know, their treatment. We kind of work with them for you know, to get them unstuck. Uh, and so when at the time when I finished working with her, she was uh, now um, you know doing more classes, not spending so much time in bed. Uh, doing things around the house and was looking into going back to university and, and these kinds of things. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, one of those situations where you don't know exactly how it would turn mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. She was taking her boat in directions that worked better for her. So. That's, that sounds good, David. David, we're getting towards the end of the program, so I, I wondered if we have um, some of our radio listeners um, uh, probably mo most people do have some kind of physical problems or another and or have family members that that have um, what what advice could you give um, radio listeners to go from hurt to hope but um, a few things one of the things I think is um, to really examine whether they're kind of stuck in with this question of is it psychological is it physical and to start to kind of really recognize that the question itself just doesn't really lead anywhere. You know, and I would ask viewers to ask themselves, have you ever come up with a good answer? You know, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, if the answer is no, then, you know, maybe, maybe one of the things that we want to try and do to kind of get unstuck and get out of this hurtful, dead end, circular place where this question goes round and round is to say, well, what would it be like to really live with never knowing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe I could live my life without knowing the answer to that. Mm -hmm. That would be kind of a, a piece that I would try and encourage uh, people who are wrestling with that question. Uh, this, the second thing I would ask, I'd invite people to do, would be to recognize that... that um, you know, this, this idea about um, how we respond to chronic illness, really, I've said already, it's not something that we teach in schools. You know, that we don't have a story for how this is meant to go. You know, 
the, uh, the story is meant to go that I get some kind of symptom, I go and see somebody, I get a test and they tell me what it is and then I get some treatment and I get better. You know, when you develop a chronic condition, that, that story, that model doesn't really apply so much anymore. And so our you know, shift in strategy has to be away from fix it, get rid of it, control it, towards more of a kind of, okay, this is here. Now, how do I live with it? What's my next step? Mm. That sounds really good, David. Thank you so much for being on the program tonight. Well, thanks very much. I've really, really enjoyed uh, talking to you, Joanne. Today, you've been listening to Dr. David Gillanders. Uh, David is the academic director at the Department of Psychology at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. You can read more about David on his website, and you can find that by clicking on his name on this week's program on webtalkradio.net. In today's program, we've learned that it's not merely the illness itself, but rather your way of relating to the illness that's critical. If you treat your illness as the enemy and you go to war with yourself, this is a war that no one wins. So even if it's not easy, by choosing your fate, that is, choosing your illness, you'll have greater access to your resources and probably live a more vital life. So thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.